Well, I think a good place to start uh, today is to think a bit about endings. See, when things are about to end, uh, very often there's a change. Think about the end uh, of a game, like a, like a hockey game. Uh, in the last few minutes, there, there's a change in the intensity of the play, usually, if it's close, if it's a blowout, doesn't matter. But usually by the end, you're, 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 the guys are playing harder, right? The, the players are, are playing harder, uh, they want to win, they want to make every second count, because it's, it's almost the end. Uh, I was thinking it's the same when you're on a holiday. You know, in the last few days of your holiday, you really start to think, well, i got to make the most of this, I want to squeeze every minute out of it. I remember Don and I uh, one time had a chance early on in our marriage to go to uh, New York City. So we had three days in Manhattan, which is not a lot of time. So we, pa- we did everything. We packed it. I mean, we were at the Met. We were at Guggenheim trying to pack everything in. And the last day, we realized we hadn't been to the Empire State Building. So on the way to the train to take us out of the city, I was looking on the map. Well, we can hit it. So we hit the Empire State Building. We went up as quick as we could, looked around, took a picture. And we went down and we left because we wanted to make every second count. That's what you do in the end. And the reason I want us to think of that is because our text begins this morning with a reference to the end. Not the end of a game, not the end of a holiday, but the end of everything. Uh, Look at verse 7. Peter writes, the end of all things is at hand. All things. Uh, Now, if you're new to the church, uh, this this may be a bit confusing, but really what Peter is talking about here is something we call the end of this age, the end times. And the Bible talks about the fact, it's very clear that there will be an end. That Jesus is up in heaven uh, right now will one day return and that that will be the end of kind of the world as we know it. Uh, he will come to bring judgment. We saw that last week in our text. He will come to judge the living and the dead. All evil will be punished. Mercy will be given to those who trust in Jesus. The earth will be made new and the age of heavenly eternity will start. So it's an end and a beginning kind of at the same time. And Peter says, look, all of this is at hand. Uh, Sometimes the Bible will say that it's coming soon, which doesn't necessarily mean that it's like soon, soon. It means that it's the next significant thing that's going to happen. Could be tomorrow, could be 500 years from now. So even though we don't know that the timing, there's a sense of urgency, that the end is at hand and we want to make the best use of our time as a church. Not not like a bucket list where we just want to do all the things on this earth before it's changed. The goal really for us as a church should be how can, we, how can we best bless the people in our lives, like be good for the world around us, and glorify God. And that's what Peter speaks to in our text this morning. He gives us four things that we, as a church, if you're a Christian here this morning, uh, what, what, what should we be doing as a church in light of the end? And so he gives us four things. I'm going to read the whole text, and then we'll go back through and take each one in turn. So as I said, 1 Peter 4 Uh, Beginning in verse 7, which says this, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So that's our word this morning. And uh, as I said, four things for us as a church. Here's the first one. 
In light of the end, uh, we are to be sober-minded. We are to be sober-minded. I'll read verse 7 again. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now, I think I see in here a contrast, sort of an intentional contrast with some of the things that Peter was speaking about last week. Remember last week, he was talking about drunkenness and feasts and the things of this world and, and warning us as Christians not to partake. And now by contrast, he's saying, well, look, here's what we should be. We should be sober-minded, self-controlled, which, um, which is important for us, even if, even if he's not speaking here specifically about alcohol. Uh, I think we know as human beings, there's a tendency for us, like when things get difficult, when things are, are, are stressful, for us to want to uh, kind of distract ourselves or, or indulge in some way, to kind of, kind of dull our senses. And sometimes that happens with alcohol, but sometimes it's just with, with food, with entertainment. A lot of the times, at the end of a long week, we just want to put our feet up and switch our mind off. That's kind of our, our coping mechanism. And sometimes we just get into that habit. And what Peter is saying is, look, in the end, like the end of this age, it's, it's going to get heavier. It's going to get harder. Uh, the Bible uses words like trial and tribulation and persecution. And so Peter's saying, for the Christian, this is not a time uh, to be distracted, to be just entertained or self-indulgent. He's saying it's a time for us to be clear-headed, to be sensible, and to be alert. So you can think of it this way, uh, just to kind of think of it practically in a day-to-day sense. As followers of Jesus we should be the ones who are able to respond most sensibly, most calmly, most helpfully in a time of crisis. That's kind of really what Peter's talking about here. And we should be able to do this because we are the ones who have the best resources at our disposal. I was thinking, I heard someone one time describe what it was like to be in a crisis situation with someone who's been uh, trained in the military, like a military personnel. And they use this phrase. They said, in those kinds of situations, uh, military personnel, there's urgency, but no panic is the dynamic, which makes a lot of sense. In, in combat, there's going to be a sense of urgency. You're going to have to move quickly. You're going to be alert, but, but you don't want panic. You don't want to be overcome with, with emotion. And I think that's fair to say that's part of what Peter's calling us to, that this kind of sober, clear-headed, self-controlled response that should mark us as Christians in times of, of crisis. I mean, just life crisis, right? Like health emergency, financial crisis, opposition to our faith, anything that kind of stresses us out brings is, is, a, is a challenge. What Peter's saying is none of that should provoke any panic in us. None of that should prompt us to, to need to seek comfort from the things in the world. We should be ready. We should be able to engage with those things with a sense of, of calmness. Clear, clear-headedness. Not because, not because we're stronger or like better than anyone else, but because we, we have better resources at our disposal. We know who's in charge. We know that he loves us. We know that he's for us. We have the spirit of God within us. We, we can commune and, and appeal to God in prayer. And we have access to the wisdom of God in the Bible. And that's, um, that's where Peter leads, right? He begins with a clear-headed or self-control, sober mind, uh, for the sake of our prayers. Because that, that dynamic should always be present in, in the Christian. In fact, that's what you see uh, in Jesus. In the time of his crisis, his greatest crisis, when he's here on earth. He's just about to go to the cross. He knows that Judas has gone to betray him to the Jewish leaders. He knows he's about to be arrested. 
And so what's his response? He doesn't, he doesn't take off. He doesn't go find a tavern. He doesn't avoid the situation. He, he goes to a garden and he prays. And he appeals to his disciples to remain alert and to pray along with him. But if you remember uh, the story, they don't, they don't do a good job of that. They keep falling asleep. And so here's one of his rebukes to them. Matthew 24, because he talks to them a few times. Uh, here's 40 and 41. He says, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Which I think sounds a lot like what Peter is saying here in our text. He's saying, look, we need to be ready. We need to be watchful. We need to be prayerful. So that whatever happens, we're, we're alert. We're ready to respond in a way that is faithful. And so I think that's a, just a good thing for us to think about for a moment. Is that, is that how we tend to respond to, to the crises in our lives, to the challenges in our lives? How do we respond when we are at the end of a long day or in the middle of a day and it's, it's already stressing us out? Do we, do we tend to self-indulge? Do, do we look to that as an answer just to kind of to get through things? Do we lash out when things get tough? I know that was for me when I was young. That was... That was how I responded. I would take it out on the people in my life because I, I didn't have any self-control. Peter's saying that that shouldn't, that shouldn't be true for us as a Christian. You should war against that, fight against that sense of lack of control. Do you sometimes just want to escape? Maybe not just want to escape, but you just escape from the situation. You just avoid maybe people in your life or situations in your life. The underlying truth that all this is built on is, is firstly that we need to recognize none of those kinds of responses, uh, the, the lack of self-control, the lack, none of those actually help anything. I mean, Peter isn't saying that specifically, but, but we can see that it's true. If we take a step back, we can see that it's true. Avoiding things, indulging, just kind of dulling our senses doesn't actually solve any of the situation. Usually it makes things worse. But rather, if you are sober-minded, and certainly if we are prayerful, that there is a real help that can come. Immediate help just in terms of our peace of mind. But, but help in terms of that God is at work. That people can look to us and know that, that we have wisdom and resources that just, it's not just from us. It's from, it's from the God of the universe who loves us. So that is our first call. In light of the end, in light of the challenges that may be present right now are going to come, that we should be sober-minded. The second thing he says uh, has to do with how we treat each other. He says, keep loving each other earnestly. Keep loving each other earnestly. Verse eight, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So the exhortation here for us is to love truly, like genuinely from the heart. But also this must mean that we're to love each other in all situations because that's, that's only true love when it's, when it's consistent. And that's the biggest challenge, I think. When things are easy, it's easy to be loving. When everything's happy, everyone in our lives are happy, things are going smooth, and we can be gracious and loving and patient, love overflowing. But when things get difficult, that's, that's the test. When someone's, you know, antagonistic towards us, when we're offended, that's when the real test of our love happens. And Peter is saying, even in those situations, we, we need to love, which I think is especially important, or at least the Bible seems to make clear, it's especially important near the end. Because in the end of this age, there are going to be more and more challenges, more and more things that press against this desire, this, this profession we might have that we're loving people, but to act, we're actually pushed in a lot of really difficult ways. Um, 
We see this from the words of Jesus. He's speaking about the end, kind of in general, but, but for us as a church, he says this. Then they, this is Matthew 24, then they will deliver you up to tribulation. The you are the Christians. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. That last part I thought was interesting. You see all the the difficulties and then the result is that the love of many will grow cold. And the dynamic that he's describing there is is pretty specific. He's saying there's going to be pressures from outside the church that put pressure, that shake, that kind of shake the church. But then from inside, there's going to be division. There's going to be temptation within the church. And part of that is, is because of false teaching. But part of it, a big part of it, is that lawlessness will increase. That's the word he uses, lawlessness, uh, which is another word for sin. So Jesus is saying uh, one of the, the challenges of loving each other well is that sin, will, there'll be a temptation for sin to grow, multiply within the church, within your relationships, and then you will become hard-hearted towards each other. You'll become less, less warm, less, less patient with each other. And it strikes me that, that we're experiencing some of that, this right now as a church. I mean, there, there's definitely um, pressures from outside, aren't there? I mean, not, not, there's a pandemic for one thing, that's pressure, but there's also regulations, government regulations, telling us how and when we can do things as a church. That's, that's definite pressure, but then from inside, there's also challenges there because we have opinions about those regulations and all the things that are going on. And even though we love each other in Christ, we very often differ about what we think about those things. And I think you know that there's there's tension because of that. There can be people that we've known for years and all of a sudden we find ourselves at different different sides of this issue and it's a real challenge for us to maintain that loving, warm disposition that we have towards each other, we should have. Hard-heartedness creeps in. Relationships suffer. Love grows cold when we're offended, when we feel there's injustice, and we want to respond in the same way. And we need to understand that this is not new. I mean, the fact that Peter's writing this thousands of years ago means that the church has always dealt with these kinds of things. This is just our thing right now. This, this particular pandemic, these, these restrictions, just our challenge. There's always been a challenge, though. And Peter gives us the answer for the church, for all time. Whatever the challenge is, he's saying there's an answer to this kind of, this difficulty. This call to love means that Peter is saying to us, look, when there's a crisis, like when there's tension between you as a church, you need to double down on love. That's the answer. Because love is the only thing that, that can deal with the destructive power of sin. Look again at the, the way he phrases it. Uh, verse eight. Above all, he says, so, so it's like whatever you're doing as a church, whatever great things, above all, this is the most important thing. Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So that last line there is, is not saying that like by loving each other, we somehow atone for each other's sins. It's not covering in that way. Jesus, his love on the cross is the thing that ultimately covers sin. But what it means is that showing persistent love enables us to overlook sins and offenses of others. That's what it means. You can think of it uh, like, a, like a fire and like oxygen. Here's a bit of an analogy that I think is helpful. For a fire to burn, it needs oxygen. 
one of the ways to put out small fires is to deprive the fire of oxygen. That's why when you're on fire, you're supposed to stop, drop, and roll. You're supposed to smother the fire. It's even better if someone takes a blanket and puts it over you. There's no oxygen. The, the fire goes out. That's how love works when there's a conflict. When the fires of sin threaten to, to be inflamed and to grow, right? There's someone who says something kind of sharply and you get bent out of shape and, or they're doing something and, and you're just, it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. The way to deal with that, to take the oxygen out of the room and to kill the flames is love. Because when you show grace, patience, forgiveness in that kind of situation, it's very hard for the other person to keep getting angry. I mean, they can, but you make it hard. You smother it. When you speak softly, speak graciously, when you seek to find a, a compromise, whatever, whatever it may be. And the reason, the reason that we as a church can, can receive this calling, like to love earnestly, like in all situations, and Peter can know that we can do this is because we have the resources at our disposal. Like we have the love of God that has, that has been shown to us through Jesus and then has indwelled us through the spirit of God. So that in every situation, no matter how sinful, how horrible someone is being to you, you do have the capacity by the power of God's spirit to respond in love. Because love, here's the amazing thing about love is Love means that even if you have reason to be offended, you don't actually have to be offended. Like even if you have reason to be angry, someone has done something and it's wrong and you should really be angry, you don't, you don't have to be angry. You can choose to be loving. You can choose to be, to be gracious because that's, that's how God treated you. And this really is the only hope we have as a church for this specific situation, like this, this pandemic, but throughout all of history. Because without love, the destruction is going to be catastrophic. Like if you listen to anyone who deals with forest fires, wind is the thing that is the worst. Just an influx of oxygen, just the flames go crazy. And when we don't apply love to these situations, the sin just runs rampant. And by the end of this particular situation, or at some point, we're just going to be hard-hearted towards each other. Look at the words of Jesus. He says specifically to his disciples at the time, look, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I has loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He's saying, look, this is, if you want the world to know me and how, how I would treat them, they should be looking at you and the way you treat each other. And just be struck by the love, by the grace. Man, two people, totally different opinions. They're so kind to each other. So this also is something we should be thinking about. I mean, honestly, has, has your love grown a bit cold? Has your heart gotten a bit harder? Maybe it's nothing to do with COVID. Maybe there's other things going on in your life, other people in your life, and it's just, man, it's really hard. It's hard to be gracious. The way to apply love, to, to smother the fires of sin, is, is simply to make a commitment to these things, to, to forgive Forgiving doesn't mean the other person has apologized and said how sorry. That just means that you are deciding I'm not going to be angry anymore with you because that's how God's treated me. You can apologize for the things that you've done wrong. You can seek to reconcile. It's not a bad thing for us to have opinions as, as a church, as individuals about secondary issues. Not a problem at all. We just don't want those opinions to fracture our relationships. 
with our brothers and sisters in Christ because we have something so much greater that is unifying us and we have opportunity to reveal to the world that the, the glory that comes from being loved by God and being in a community where people are loved by God and can love each other. So that's the second thing, to love each other well. It's tough but beautiful when it happens. Please, Lord, please help us to do this well. And then the next thing Peter says is kind of a, an outflow, a practical, what, what might that look like? What's something that we would do if we really loved each other well? Third thing, we would show hospitality. Verse nine, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's the loving part, without grumbling. Without like, oh, something I have to do. Now, uh, hospitality uh, in the old, like in the first century church, this was something that was essential. I mean, they needed it to travel because there's no motels, so you had to, someone to invite you in and you could stay and have a meal. It was also essential uh, for the life of the church. They didn't have a church building. So there's a temptation for us maybe to think, you know, it isn't as essential now because we have Holiday Inns. We have a church building. So maybe this isn't as important. But we should notice that Peter includes this in a list of, of essential things for the church. So clearly he thinks that being hospitable is, is just as important. It's part of what it means to love each other. And if you really think about it, being hospitable is, is an amazing thing. I mean, it, it really is a gracious and relational and loving activity. Something that reflects the heart of God for the people of the world. I mean, the gospel, in the gospel, we see a picture of God welcoming us in, out of the, the coldness of sin, the starkness, harshness of sin, into the warmth of God's family. That's a hospitable act. And so this is what we are being called to as a church, to treat each other this way, to likewise show that kind of love, have someone in, have a meal, go out somewhere. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Matt, it's a pandemic. I mean, surely if we get a pass on anything, we get a pass on this. Like this isn't really the best time to be inviting people into our homes. And fair enough, it, it is a pandemic. But could I point out something that I think we know to be true, which is that we were not exactly knocking hospitality out of the park before the pandemic, I don't think. I think this is something that we needed to grow in because Canadian culture isn't the most hospitable culture. We, we tend to like distance as a, as a country, maybe because there's so much space in our country, we like to spread, I don't know what it is, but we, we tend to like garages where we can pull in and put them down and not have to talk to anyone, fences are good. We like me time. Like downtime, we like lobby time. Lobby time is great. You go and you talk to someone for a brief amount of time and then you can go to your car. That that's just tends to be our culture. If you talk to someone from other parts of the world, they come to Canada, it's like a relational desert. It's like no one, do you even love each other? Do you even care about each other? But we're just kind of used to it. But what we should recognize is, of course, we aren't to take our cues from the culture. We're to take our cues from the word of God. And remember who we are as followers of Jesus. Jesus loved us. So he didn't stay up in heaven, comfy and cozy. He came down to earth. And then he went back up to heaven, made a home for us. At the cost of his life, he invited us, brought us up to heaven. That's hospitality. That's sacrificial, loving hospitality. And that is key for us as a church. This should be part of just how we do life together. Because we, we really are called to know each other. Like to be in each other's lives. We're called to welcome in new people into our community, which requires a level of hospitality, of, of sort of practical relational love. Some of the hardest conversations I've had, thankfully I haven't had a lot, are some of people who've said to me, no, I just didn't feel very welcomed at your church. Ooh, it's like, what? That's horrible. I'm so sorry, that's not what it should be. It should, this is so we know, it should be hard for someone to come in who's new 
and not feel warmly welcomed. Like our goal should be to smother them with welcomedness so they feel a bit uncomfortable. Not uncomfortable, you know what I mean. That's, that's how we should be, that we just want, want to connect with people. Let me say it this way. There's no point being a theologically sound church if we aren't also a warm and welcoming church. Like those two things, they have to go together. Or that the truth is, is, is pointless. It's cold, it's detached. We, we need the truth and love to come together. So let's say that you're on board thus far. Let's say you're like, yeah, okay, but, but wait, it is still a pandemic. So how do we do this? Because, you know, it's so difficult. The, the regulations keep changing. People's opinions keep changing. I mean, this is going to be hard, right? Yes, this is going to be hard. But, but to that, I would say, so what? I mean, we're the church. We, we do hard things all the time. I mean, look at the words of Jesus. We're called to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, right? Sacrifice ourselves, go to other places in the world, leave everything. I mean, hard is what we do. So we're uniquely equipped for this kind of a situation, so what we need to do is keep the heart of what God is saying here, heart of hospitality, and ask ourselves, well, what, what can we do? What, what could be possible if, if I wanted to try to work this out? And I think what would end up happening is that you'd, you'd end up with some awkward conversations, okay? So we need to embrace the awkwardness, take a bit of a risk, because there's going to be people that you talk to that aren't ready to connect the way that you are. So just to sort of set every, everyone's mind at ease, I thought I would show you what is maybe the most awkward conversation that could be had at this point. I'll be paying, playing both roles, okay? So just bear with me. So it could look like this, like today, right? So imagine someone after in the lobby, hey, Stanley, how's, how's it going? It's great. Um, so listen, you know, Matt said we had to do this hospitality thing, so I guess we should, I mean, no, I would really like to have you over is what I meant to say. Uh, so would you, would you like to come over for lunch, like to our house? Yeah, that, thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate that. It's just, I'm, I'm not super comfortable coming into someone's home right now, you know, because there's a, a pandemic. Right, right, there's a pandemic. I forgot, yes. Um, well, uh, well, what about a restaurant? We, what about we go to a restaurant? I'd feel more comfortable at a restaurant. That's a great idea. Yeah, a restaurant's a great idea. It's just, um, I may not be totally vaccinated, so a restaurant is a little, I can't really go, oh, you're not vaccinated. That's, that's, uh, that's no problem. Uh, well, what about, oh, what about if we went to A&W? Because they value freedom, and I can sit there, and we can eat there. Yeah, A&W is great. It's just, um, you know, I'm just thinking we'd both have our masks off, and then we'd be speaking. Uh, I'd be breathing your unvaccinated air. Yeah, that's right. That, I can see how that would. Well, what about if we got takeout, and we went to the dike, and we went for a walk? We'd be spatially distanced, but relationally close. I could do that. Look, two people who should never be close are close. Why? Because they love each other. Hospitality. It can work, people, Okay. So listen, you don't, have to, you don't have to have this conversation today necessarily, all right? Doesn't have to be that kind of awkward. But, but if we really believe this is true, here, here is, I think, what we should be thinking. What would it look like for us as individuals, like just to increase our hospitality quotient just one level, okay? So maybe, maybe you have never had anyone into your home, maybe you've never gone out, and you're just like, that freaks me out. But maybe, what, just maybe do it once. Try it. If you have someone over monthly increase a little bit. Maybe you're already doing it all the time. Praise God. I mean, we have things called community groups, which is sort of designed to accomplish this. We have people into each other's homes. I know right now it's harder. We can't do that. Some of you are in the church on Zoom. It's, but listen, sign up for one. If you're not in a community group, this is the whole point. 
that there's, there's connections, there's relationship. We can, we can make this happen, even if we are somewhat hindered. Now, a couple things as a church that we've done, community groups is one of them. Another thing uh, that we know is that uh, conversation happens better when there's food and drink. So we're going to reboot our cafe. Uh, right now, the government in its wisdom has said we can't eat in the building, but we say, fine, we'll go outside. So we're going to, next week, starting next week, have coffee, tea, baked goods outside. I'm sure it'll be sunny like this from now until June. So every Sunday, every Sunday after the gathering, we just go outside and we just have coffee and talk and see, see what happens. Okay, if this, is, if, this, if this is something we care about, we're going to find a way to make this happen. And I hope that it is. Because this, this is important for us to really know each other, love each other, and especially if you're new. I, I really hope that you feel warmly welcomed here. That's our calling. So, that's the third thing. Be hospitable. Fourth. Fourth is this. We are to use our gifts to serve. Use our gifts. Here's verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, this brings up uh, the topic of spiritual gifts. Uh, Peter doesn't use that term, but that's what he's talking about. Gifts given to us by God for the good of the church, for the blessing of each other, and for his glory. Uh, these gifts are deep, outlined in more detail in other parts of the Bible. We're not going to dive into it, do it deeply here. Uh, we are going to do a series, though, on the Holy Spirit and including spiritual gifts coming up before Easter, so you can look forward to that. For now, we're just going to stick to what Peter tells us about these gifts. So what he says is that we all have them. If you're, if you're a Christian, we've received a gift from God, at least one. They're manifestations of his grace. He says we're stewards of the varied grace of God. And that we should use them to serve one another. So there's lots of different kinds of gifts. Some of them more practical. Some of them supernatural, spiritual. But Peter kind of groups them into two categories. Those who speak and those who serve. And so here's verse 11. Here's his instructions. He says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the main point Peter is making here clearly is that these gifts come from God. We're to use them to bless each other, but they really are to point back to God. That he is to receive the glory. And the way for that to happen is if we use our gifts in his strength. Not our own. Which, which is clear in the text, but it's tough to do that. Because these gifts that he's talking about, a lot of them... They feel very, uh, they feel innate. Like they feel like they originate in us. You know, if you're really good at singing or good at art or with your hands or other, some other practical things, good with people, you, you've probably grown in that gift all your life and you come to think of it as kind of your own. And if you look at the way the world uses gifts, they use it to glorify themselves, right? You, you flex what you have. It's just a natural way of being. And so even in the church, it, it can be very commonplace that we use our gifts and abilities in our own strength like kind of according to what we think would be best to have happen. But here Peter is saying, look, we need to serve by the strength that God supplies, which I think means with a sense of humility, like that we aren't just to, to barrel on ahead with whatever we think would be best or most helpful. We should be in prayer about these things. And also it means that we need to really acknowledge the fact that we, we need the power of God, that, like the spirit of God, to use our gifts to really be effective. And that's easier to acknowledge if you stop and think about what you actually have to offer apart from God. Like, think of the amount of wisdom that we have apart from the Bible or the power we have apart from the Spirit. We don't really have anything 
That's of much help unless God is at work in us. And, and that's what we're being uh, called to do, uh, to use our gifts and abilities so that we bless others and we glorify God. And we see that um, one really clear example is in the speaking gifts. Because uh, the speaking gifts, that's preaching, teaching, um, the supernatural, you know, could be speaking in tongues, could be prophecy, whatever it is. He's saying the purpose of these speaking gifts is that people would be blessed by God, not by the person. Like they would hear a word from God. Now this doesn't mean that someone can speak words that are on par with scripture. It says this, we just speak uh, and, and people hear like oracles from God. That's like a prophecy from like the Old Testament when like Isaiah or Ezekiel would be speaking. But it's, it's not saying that anyone teaching today is gonna speak some words that are on par with scripture. That the Bible is, is the authority. What should be happening now, what it means is, for example, when someone's preaching, if they're preaching faithfully, they're faithful to the text, uh, preaching in the, in the spirit of God, by God's power, and then, then people will hear as if they are hearing from God. And I'm not sure if you've experienced that. It's happened a number of times to me where I'm sitting, listening to a sermon, and there'll be something that's said, a word or a phrase or a verse, and I'll just know that God is speaking to me in that moment. That's something I needed to hear. It's not new revelation. It's not something new. It's just according to the scripture, but, but the spirit of God is applying it to my life in that moment. It's fantastic. After the gathering, if someone comes up to me and says, man, I really feel like God was speaking to me, had a word for me today, and I will, I will know that that has nothing to do with me because someone else will come to me and say, I got some problems with what you said today, and we need to talk about it. So it's too, it's just the spirit of God is at work. And that's why it's so important that, that a preacher to preach faithfully as much as possible tries to get out of the way in a sense and have us come to, to the text that the Spirit would lead us to wrestle, or to be impacted by the, the word of Scripture, which is also why it's so important that, that all preaching and teaching needs to be rooted in Scripture. That's the authority. That's, that's the power. So the goal, whether we're, whether we're speaking, whether we're serving, is to serve and bless each other and to glorify God. And so you might, might be wondering, hopefully you're wondering, but how, how could I do that? Maybe you already know. Maybe you're serving already in this ministry, fantastic. But it could be that you're saying, I'm not exactly sure what that looks like. Well, it looks, I think there's usually two categories of what this looks like, I think. Uh, one is informal serving, meaning just as we as the church do life together, we notice needs in the lives of others and we, we notice that we can help in those needs. So we have certain gifts or skills, maybe they're very practical. Hear stories of people going over to someone's house to fix the dishwasher or fix the car or plumbing help, that kind of thing. Plumbing's the only thing that can come to my mind. All those kinds of practical gifts, that just happens when we do life together. Because we hear what people need. And yeah, I can help. Or so-and-so's got a truck, let's go and do that. But it could also be on a more deeper spiritual level. Meaning, as you know someone, you begin to really pray for them. And you get a sense of God's leading in your prayer time. And so you're praying specifically and you can share with them, look, I'm, I just feel like God was saying this or here's this, this, uh, this verse that I think is for you. I mean, that, that's, just an, that's not organized in any way. That's just us being the church with each other, loving each other in each other's lives. But there are also more formal ways to serve. Uh, structures within the church. We, we call them serve teams for the most part. Me meaning these are the things that we do as volunteers just to use our gifts to bless the church, to make things happen. And the reason we, we do these things is because we've realized there are certain things that just need to happen in our culture in this day for things to run well. 
For example, we need uh, a tech team. In Peter's day, they didn't need that. I don't even know if that was on his mind, but it, we need it because otherwise it would be dark and it would be quiet and we want things to run well. We need a kid's team because we want for parents to come in and be able to have some quiet time and be able to listen or we want the kids in with us and that's fine too. But all of these serve teams are there because we really want to bless each other. We want to do our best to welcome new people in. And so if you're wondering, what, what should I do? Best thing is to join a serve team. We, did, we brainstormed as a staff. What are, some thing, what are some teams that we need extra people right now? Uh, the slide team is self-evident. Look, you wouldn't see that slide apart from Gail at the back. Praise God. Way to go, Gail. Slides team. We need some more people to join that. Parking team, facilities, cleaning up the building. Welcome team, we always need more help. Baking and cafe team, as I said, we're rebooting that. And the kids team, some subs for that. Look, if you're not already serving, you may think to yourself, I don't know if those are my giftings. Try them out. Try them out. You don't have to stay there forever. But our heart, if our heart is to serve, then we're just going to look for what areas are of need. And hopefully along the way, we're going to find the thing that really gels for us and we be able to use our gifts and skills. But the goal, notice the goal is really to serve each other and to glorify God. And that means that, that we all need to be involved because the Bible is really clear that we all have something to give. Your joy will increase as you use your gifts. Your, your sense of belonging will increase as you use your gifts. And the blessing will just expand exponentially as we are blessed by each other. I'm gonna read verse 11 as we close. Just think of, see how Peter brings it to, to an end. He says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What better way is there to spend our time in the end of this age than on these things? Than loving and serving and glorifying God. That's, that's what Peter is calling us to as a church my hope for us, in spite of the challenges in actually accomplishing these things, my hope is that we, see, we have real joy in this. Like we're excited about this as a community. And, that, and we look to make it happen. As imperfectly as it may be, we move in this direction. Let me pray for us to that end. Lord Jesus, I do, I do pray for us. Lord, we are imperfect people. Lord, we are people in need of your grace and mercy each day. And yet the clear calling on our lives is to be loving people, is to be hospitable people. And so Lord, I pray for your help. I pray in particular for those of us who know that there's just some strained relationships, some, some things that are difficult for us to really show love and forgiveness to people in our lives. Would you please convict us of that? Would you help us to, to be soft-hearted and soft-spoken and to really reach out in reconciliation in light of the gospel? Would you help us also to get over some of those uh, challenges, the fears perhaps of, of reaching out to people relationally, of connecting in that way, help us to see that it's a good thing and that we have gifts to give, Lord. I, I pray that, that we would find real joy in that as a church. And I pray, Lord, for, for anyone new to feel welcomed and for us to be a place where people, people walk in the doors, people see the way we relate to each other and, and they see you, Lord. That's what we want, for them to be directed to you, to, for you to receive all the glory and honor. So please help us in this. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.